Cat Disgusted is a show about veterinary nursing. It is not a show about how to cure your sick pet. If your animal is sick, take it to the vet. Don't be a crazy person and use a podcast to cure your puking cat, dog, chinchilla, etc., etc. I think they would tell you the same thing. If they could. Which they can't. Which makes it hard. You know what's up. Take them to the vet. Greetings, ladies and gentlemen. It's time for the best of times and the worst of times in veterinary nursing. What the hell are we doing? Well, it's Chihuahua snapping feral cats flailing all while working with the baddest bitches in the business. I'm your host, Nicole Dickerson, RBT, and this... It's how our week went. What's up, everybody? It is a dark and damp, rainy day here in Richmond, California. Uh, and so what better thing to do with my evening than to sit in my house and speak into a microphone? <laughs> so here I am. Uh, welcome back to Cat Disgusted. I have uh, exciting news. If you didn't see it on the Cat Disgusted Facebook page already, uh, my good friend Melissa Taylor, who drew the Lugo, the, the Lugo, the Lugie, that's appropriate to call the logo a Lugie for Cat Disgusted, actually. Uh, but she drew a logo for Cat Disgusted and it is now available for purchase on a variety of crap <laughs> from CafePress.com. Uh, so if you go to CafePress.com and it's C-A-F-E-P-R-E-S-S slash, oh, dot com, sorry, dot com slash Cat Disgusted, you will find a plethora of objects with which to uh, adorn the Cat Disgusted logo and have in your dear possession. So we got like mugs on there. Um, anybody who's been to Cafe Press before knows that they have like a gazillion things. I, I chose most of the things, most, mostly because I was just fascinated to see um, Melissa's amazing art on like, you know, dog t-shirts and keychains and uh, flasks, shot glasses. I mean, you name it, it's on there. Uh, but feel free to peruse at will. Uh, it's, it's totally like it's through cafe press. So, you know, you can get whatever size or like color variety. It's totally awesome. I'm stoked about it. I think I'm going to go with the phone case actually is probably what I'll, what my initial purchase will be. But I thought I would announce it here because I was so stoked about it and I'll post the link on the, uh, on the Facebook page again, in case you missed it. But it's it's been a while since I've done uh, a segment on one of my favorite topics, which is stupid breeds. And so I figured uh, we could start uh, this episode with that segment. So ladies and gentlemen, I bring you the illustrious and itty bitty Chihuahua. Doesn't it sound like, I'm not sure if this is what it's happening in that, in, in Bjork's band. That's the Sugar Cubes, by the way, for those of you who are paying attention. Um, doesn't it sound like they're saying, bad dog, bad dog, in the beginning of that? Um, that? That is entirely possible, considering that the name of the song is Chihuahua. So that's the reputation that Chihuahuas 
have are bad dogs um, in uh, in veterinary medicine anyway. Uh, but they can also be very sweet, and they're terribly entertaining, and they're hilarious. Uh, so they're they're one of my favorite types of dogs. I think they're totally fun. And so, what better way to honor them than to uh, talk about them on a podcast? So. The first thing I'll say about uh, these little guys, chihuahuas, I'm sure everybody is familiar with what they look like. You know, I don't feel like I have to really describe this particular breed to anybody because they're super popular, especially right now. Um, they've they're they're very. I feel like they're they're trendy. They're everywhere. Shelters are full of them because they're uh, they them and pitbulls are like the most frequently surrendered dogs to shelters and I think it's because people get chihuahuas because they think like oh it's a tiny dog so it'll be really small it'll be great for an apartment it'll be you know like a like a like a cat kind of which they're totally not they're they're dogs they're just very small so they have all the same problems like you know barking pooping in your house they need exercise all those things that make don- dog ownership much like being a parent um so that but you know they they they're fairly uh easily acquired and so shelters tend to fill up with them because there are lots of them in the world um one of my fi- this is the other reason that they're one of my favorite breeds besides just being entertaining uh is the fact that they're when one of those little guys walks in the hospital i love it if there's also a big dog that's in the vicinity, like especially if it's like a really big one, like a Great Dane or like a big fuzzy chow or something like that. And here comes this little itty bitty chihuahua uh, right behind it because it's like you look at those two dogs, you look at like, you know, the, the little guy that you're holding in your hand and then you look at this giant which is which is standing on the floor. I think the last time we actually did have a Great Dane and a chihuahua that were in the hospital at the same time for different things. And it was just so great to look at them both and be like, look at this genetic diversity or this uh, this expression of uh, phenotypes of genetics uh, that is these two living beings. They're the same species, same species, but yet they look so different. Uh, I was told, I, I think it's just such a great demonstration of how diversified we have made the species of dog in the world, uh, what the humans have done. It's amazing. So as the name suggests for chihuahuas, uh, they originated in the state of Chihuahua in Mexico. Now it does happen to border uh, the U.S. and New Mexico. So that's initially where they were most uh popular uh was in like kind of the it was along that border that new new mexico uh and mexican border there and texas region so there is some artwork now depending on how is some debate as to how old this breed is uh there's artwork near the period of cholula yes cholula like the hot sauce (laughs) there's a pyramid near mexico city that depicts a dog that really resembles uh the chihuahuas of today now the chihuahuas of today are kind of split into two two general looks that they have they call them deer head chihuahuas or apple head chihuahuas and it's exactly how it sounds you have some chihuahuas that have um kind of a longer narrower frankly more dog-like face and there are other chihuahuas which are the ones that tend to be on all the dog calendars, which have these round bulbous heads and these bulbous eyeballs. Um, so, so you have your, your applehead fans and your deerhead fans. Those, those of you who are Chihuahua fanatics among us will know exactly what I'm talking about and exactly who those people are. So the, that pyramid, I mean, those, those depictions of those dogs, it predates uh, f- 1500 AD, but now we think that there could be 
uh, they could those dogs could have been around as early as 900 AD, and they're descended from an ancient type of dog that I think I hope I'm saying this right called a Tichichi, and they spell it. T-E-C-H-I-C-H-I, Tichichi, which I think is a fabulous name for a dog. And why hasn't, oh, I've never seen a dog that's come into the clinic named Tichichi. Oh my God, I will die if there ever is one because I think that's great. Um, these dogs were domesticated by uh, the Mayan people in Mexico the, and the Toltec people of Mexico. And they looked very similar, but not nearly as tiny and teacuppy as today's chihuahuas are. There's a bit of debate out there too, like, you know, whether uh, today's chihuahuas are actually the same dog as the Tichichi. It's just that it's descended gen- generations and generations, or was it maybe crossed at some point with a Mexican hairless breed? Oh, that's a whole, that's a whole stupid breed for another episode. Um, so that's a little bit up for, up for debate. Uh, one little factoid that I found that I thought was really interesting, but a history here. So Hernan Cortez... He was a Spanish conquistador. Uh, He led the expedition to Mexico that offed the Aztecs and started the the whole colonization ball rolling uh, for for Spanish colonialism in Mexico. Nice guy. Um, He wrote that the Aztecs were using, he sent this letter uh, back to Spain that he saw these Aztecs were using the dogs for food uh, and that they were also using them, I love this, as little heaters, like almost like hot water bottles in their beds. And especially if they had uh, people that were either very old or they were very ill or injured, they would put these little dogs inside their their beds to keep them warm. And there's there's some like some ancient old timey medicine stuff about that, that like, you know, the dogs will absorb the bad energy of the illness. Um, so they think that that may have been part of what was going on, but I, it also is just, you know, it's very practical. You have a lot of little tiny warm dogs, just go ahead and put them in the bed with the sick people, keeps them warm. It's great. It's before electric blankets. That being said, these little guys, there is a lot of variation uh, amongst these chihuahuas, thanks to breeders. Now I say little guys, most of them are very small. Sometimes I would call them a two kigger. They do have long-haired chihuahuas versus short-haired chihuahuas. Uh, I talked about the apple head versus deer head thing. Um, All the colors of the rainbow, black ones, brown ones. You see ones that have like markings on their face that look like miniature pinchers, little brown eyebrows. Um, Rarely there is a merle characteristic. Now, merle is the color that I think a lot of people associate with uh, dachshunds or they'll associate it with Australian shepherds. And it's that kind of, um, that dapple blue color that you see, uh, some dogs will have, sometimes they'll have like the one, the one brown eye and the one scary ghost blue eye. So Merle, here's a side note about, about Merle colorization. And I kind of like got lost in like a, an internet vortex when I was looking up dog breed colors. And I just happened upon this information about Merle dog breed color. Now I had always heard that with dapple dachshunds, you never do, it was a funny phrase about it. You like never do a dapple double, if that makes sense. Like you never breed one dapple dachshund to another dapple dachshund because they can get incredibly screwed up. And I didn't really know why that was. Well, reason is that Merle color characteristic, which is desirable in some cases, it carries health problems and it carries health problems when you have a homozygous dog. So it means that 
a dog carrying that expression of that genetic trait breeds with another dog that carries that genetic trait. And then they get this homozygous gene pairing and then they can have deafness. They can have what's called a micro, let's see if I can say this, microphthalmia, <laughs> which means small eyes. So they can be blind. Uh, so it, that's why they say don't dapple double or double dip or dapple because you can end up with these dogs that are incredibly screwed up. And the same thing goes with chihuahuas. Like if you have a chihuahua that has a merle coat coloring, you're not supposed to breed them because it can make dogs that are very, very sad and have genetic problems. As far as the mentation of chihuahuas go, so I kind of started by like commenting on like how it sounds like the same bad dog in that song. So nothing will bring a veterinary practice to its knees quicker than a vicious little chihuahua. And I will tell you why. Because not only are they, not only can chihuahuas be just like little rolling, raving, mad balls of teeth, but restraining them is really hard because they're so small. So it's like, sure, you can squeeze the heck out of this tiny flailing ball of teeth, but if you squeeze it too hard, it will die. So it's, I think that that, that's what makes chihuahuas so difficult to deal with when they're not having vet would not have any part of your veterinary medicine is that you don't want to hurt them because it's like having a little bird, except that the bird is snarling and trying to bite you. So they can be moody little things. Uh, I love that the, the AKC, uh, describes Chihuahua behavior as clan-ish, like being part of a clan, clan-ish. And it's because they love their owner. Like Chihuahuas love mommy. That's like, that's a thing that I feel like I have very often encountered walking up to a person that has a chihuahua in their arms and the chihuahua is like, bah, 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 like just not having looks at me and thinks die, 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 die. However, once I, once mom is able to leave, like, you know, either I, either chihuahua and me walk to the treatment area or like we put mom in a room and then the dog's fine. So it, they can be very, very owner protective. They also really like other chihuahuas. And I didn't really even think about this until I thought about my dear friend, Corrine, who has like three or four of these things. And man, those dogs are always together and they always travel in a pack. They're always following her around. They don't need a leash or anything because they just kind of follow her around like a little miniature chihuahua army and it's very true like chihuahuas really like their own kind they like other chihuahua cross breeds they just they enjoy that company which i think is very sweet um their temperament like a lot of other dogs can have a lot to do with their parents and so if you have like mean chihuahuas will begat mean chihuahuas uh and i i think it would probably work the same as if you had like a group of chihuahuas you know if you got like a bunch of mean ones they're probably all gonna like all have mean friends would be would be my guess but now it's not to say that nice ones aren't out there because they absolutely 100% are in fact those four chihuahuas that my friend Corrine has are wonderful I love those little dogs um one of my (laughs) makes me sad one makes me sad because she's gone now but but happy because I knew her there was a little dog named Squee who I loved very much who who, uh, belonged to a doctor friend of mine Um, she was wonderful. I loved that little dog. You could sit on the steps and she would run towards you and hop up on your lap and just lick your face. And she she was great. So I, I, I loved her. So don't get the wrong impression that they're all bad dogs. They are prone to being a little bit owner protective and like only wanting to be with mommy and their friends. However, uh, they, they can be such little sweet, entertaining little things. They, they have this funny little trait, uh, 
that I think I think which is interesting to me that it was mentioned on the AKC website that this was like a thing. I thought it was just like a personality thing, but apparently it's like a breed thing. Uh, they love to dig, like they love to dig and bury themselves. And I totally know this because I feel like both Squee, uh, my little friend from uh, my little doctor's dog, loved to bury herself in blankies. She loved to be in cat carriers. She loved that. Uh, my <laughs> there's another uh, technician I worked with who had a little tiny uh, older chihuahua who only had one eye that worked, uh, whose name was Peanut. And Peanut loved to sleep in blankets and sleep in her sweatshirt. Like he, that, that was Peanut's thing. Like if Peanut was in a cage without a blankie, he's all shaking and looking out with that one eye. Like, oh. And he gave him a blankie and he's like, hooray! And he'd be all happy and set to go. Uh, there, is, uh, there is one particular story I can remember about Peanut. Uh, where he was in uh, her sweatshirt, all bundled up in her sweatshirt, sleeping, sleeping. And it was very, very cute. And we're like, oh, look, Peanut's sleeping. And then I was doing a thing, and then I turned back around, and Peanut is sitting next to the sweatshirt. And he's just kind of sitting there doing that staring, shaking thing. And I'm like, what is what is that? I'm like, Peanut, don't you want the sweatshirt? Peanut, don't you want it? And he looks at it, he looks at me. He looks at it, he looks at me. I'm like, what is that? And then, the hell is that? What's that smell? Uh, okay. The smell that I got a whiff of, Peanut had pooped in the sweatshirt. <laughs> so he didn't want to sleep in the sweatshirt anymore. So Kayla, his owner, was all upset. Because, oh, why he pooped in my sweatshirt? So, uh, but sure enough, she it, luckily it was well-formed, could just kind of flick that little bugger right out of there and shake it out. And that became Peanut's bed for the next <laughs> couple days, which he was perfectly fine with. Let's talk about health concerns so what are chihuahuas what are chihuahuas coming to me in the hospital for well first and foremost i will mention that their grills are jacked like their teeth are so gnarly and uh it's because their jaw is so tiny that their teeth are really crowded. They can actually like literally their jaws have been bred to they're, they're bred to be so, so small and their jaws are so small that their teeth won't just they just won't be seated very well in their jaw. So they can get really loose and they get rotten and they fall out and they smell terrible. Uh, they, these guys can sometimes use like a yearly teeth cleaning and that's like a fully anesthetized like dental cleaning uh that most most dogs will only have you know maybe two or three of those in their lifetime chihuahuas can sometimes need them every year because otherwise their teeth just get nasty um the applehead chihuahuas, the ones with the big googly eyes and the big bulgy heads, they can actually get hydrocephalus as part of, uh, it's just, it, it comes with the territory. It's like you're breeding these dogs to have giant bulbous heads. It's like you're basically breeding them to have hydrocephalus. And so that can happen. And the puppies, they fall over. They never like really mature mentally. They can have, they, they can have like balance problems, mentation problems. They, they can be blind. It's, just, it's, it's That's not fun. Um, I did learn a new word. The word is molera. I think I'm saying that right. It's like it's either molera or molera. I feel that molera sounds too much like mothra. So I'm gonna say molera. Uh, it's it's the fontanelle. You know how human babies are born with a, a soft the soft spot in their skull. 
that we call a fontanelle in a chihuahua. It's known as a molera. Uh, chihuahuas are the only breed of dog that are born with this. Uh, most dogs are born with a, with a complete skull, but uh, chihuahuas are born with this little soft spot, this incomplete skull. So you have to be really careful about that because uh, even though it's an ev- for humans, it's like an, an evolutionary thing where like, you know, our trip down to birth canal is like so gnarly that our heads actually have to be able to kind of shape shift a little bit. You've seen the babies that are born and they have the cone head thing. That's like on purpose. So we don't squish our brains, you know, like we've kind of got this, this brain casing that's a little bit malleable when we're first born. Well, if you got little itty bitty puppies that are like the size of a freaking uh, like, you know, those like little mini Coke cans, not even like a regular Coke can, like little tiny, like, you know, I'm on a diet, so I'm going to pretend like I'm not drinking this Coke, Coke can. Um, those puppies, I mean, you, you freaking poke their brain if you, if you're not careful. So we're always aware of that. Now, sometimes that, that Bolera, that Fontanelle in Chihuahuas doesn't close. And so their entire lives, they've got this hole that's at, that's an opening at the top of their, uh, at the top of their skull. So it's always something to kind of be aware of. I do have one scary story that I have to like impart about the open Fontanelle, which is there was a, a dog that I saw an emergency at my old job owners came rushing in with this poor dog. Uh, it was, it was really for all intensive purposes. By the time it got to us, it was like 99% dead. Uh, what had happened was they had a new, uh, young, large dog that was in the household. I think it was a Labrador, German Shepherd, puppy mix, something like that. And the Chihuahua was in the house, like maybe like 10 year old Chihuahua. And they fed them at the same time. And not only did they feed them at the same time, but they fed them out of the same bowl. Now, if you have a new dog in the house, I mean, I am by no means a dog behaviorist, but I'm going to go ahead and say that that's maybe not the thing that I would do just because you don't really know if this new dog of yours is going to pop off and be food aggressive and you just never knew that, you know? And so in this case, that's exactly what happened. The new uh, lab shepherd mix puppy was food aggressive. And so when the Chihuahua came over to eat out of the same bowl as the young dog, the big dog turned around and bit the Chihuahua. Now it's a big dog and a little dog. When that dog bit the Chihuahua, it's canine punctured through the open molera in this Chihuahua's head. So by the time that the dog got to us, an that it was very apparent that an artery had been punctured in its head, in its brain, through that open fontanelle. So its head was swollen, dog was unconscious, barely had a heartbeat. I mean, there was nothing that could be done for this dog. And it was instantaneous like the the owners poor things they probably they had no chance like it, and it w- must have happened in a second and they said that they barely even knew it happened because the chihuahua barely made a sound and neither did the big dog and i'm sure it was because it was just an instantaneous death for that poor dog so that's my scary story about fontanelles and uh molera so careful with the careful with the little guys speaking of birth uh chihuahuas giving birth can be traumatic um they're very very small and if they have a lot of puppies in there they literally will not be able to fit the puppies out of the hole that the puppies come out of um especially if they're one of those round-headed applehead chihuahuas you know i feel like it's it's unlikely that it will be able to pass through the birth canal without doing some damage and so uh 
the chihuahuas very often have C-sections for their litters because they literally, these like big old applehead chihuahuas can't fit down the line. Um, and the moms are just too small. They're just literally too small to give birth to their own children. Chihuahua puppies will come into us a lot of times with hypoglycemia if they're not thriving well um, because they're so tiny. If they're not eating regularly, they can deplete their sugar reserves super, super quickly. Um, so woe is the technician that has to deal with the hypoglycemic chihuahua newborn neonate that then needs an IV catheter and intravenous dextrose. It's always a challenge. Um, well, a lot of times we'll end up putting uh, a catheter in their jugular vein, but we just use a peripheral catheter like you would put in a cat, like in a cat arm. Um, because it goes all the way, I mean, they can be so small, it goes all the way into their uh, cranial vena cava uh, above their heart. Uh, the other option is to do what's called an interosseous catheter, which means that you are putting a catheter into the bone of their leg. And we'll actually start it um, just right at the, uh, the top of their femur. And we'll uh, insert the needle there and go into uh, the space where the bone marrow is in their leg. And you can give intravenous fluids that way. The, the, the inside of the bone will actually absorb it really, really quickly. Uh, and you can give them uh, fluids and sugars that way. Uh, these guys are really hard to resuscitate. I feel like it's always a challenge. So, you know, you're, you're happy when you're good at it. That's for sure. But getting good at it and like, you know, having a good outcome is a challenge. So, uh, yeah, those guys will give you a run for your money. On the other hand, uh, these chihuahuas, they live freaking forever. Oh my God. Like, I feel like my friend Corrine's, uh, little dog, her oldest one is like 16 now or something crazy like that. And she's fine. She looks great. Uh, the oldest dog that I've ever met, uh, was a chihuahua and he was 23 years old. Now, I know what you're thinking. Like, oh, how do you know he's really 23? So he came for he came to the e ER clinic for euthanasia because he was no longer able to stand or, you know, uh, he was going to the bathroom on himself. He was not groomed well. He was blind. He was deaf, wasn't eating. He had no teeth. Uh, he came with the whole family. Like there was like eight or nine people that all came with this little 23-year-old chihuahua. And they were like... They'd known the dog. There were young people, old people. Some of the young people that came with that dog, they'd never been alive without that dog being alive. Like the dog was older than the youngest person who came uh, to say goodbye to that dog, which is amazing. He looked tore up though. Woo, he looked tore up. Yeah, his eyes were all like, cataracted over and no teeth. And he, he's a little bit feisty, struggling, kind of trying to bite you with his gummy mouth and he had little, yeah, he was just, wasn't well-groomed and yeah. I mean, it was definitely the, e the end of his 23 years, but 23 years. That's amazing. Amazing. Our little joke was like, doesn't look a day over, doesn't look a day over 18. <laughs> it looks great. Yeah. So the very sweet though, very sweet family. They obviously did a great job with him. The oldest dog, oldest dog by far that I've ever met by like, I mean, by years. I never even met one close, close to that. So you know what, everybody, I, I wasn't planning on doing uh, a venipuncture of the week uh, this week, but I totally have to do one because I have some very exciting news. And, and I will express that all to you during this special venipuncture of the week.
Okay, so this is what's so exciting. So remember how last week I told the whole story about uh, my my good friend Morgan who did the triple lumen jugular catheter and then walked me through the whole thing and I got to do the triple lumen jugular catheter. Well, shoot. Guess what? So we had another one of those that came up, same type of situation, same type of disease, actually. It was another diabetic ketoacidosis dog, very sick dog. And we had actually run out of the single lumen sampling catheters that we normally use for those guys for blood sampling. We're just, there's this particular size that we really like. Um, it's a, it's a 22 gauge, eight inch single lumen central line. And that's the one that we really like for like small to mid-sized dogs. Um, and it's really the only one that we can get into cats to do blood sampling. Well, we're out of those at the hospital and they're like on back order. So Exciting thing for us is that we're going to be doing a whole lot more of these jugular catheters while those are not in the hospital. And I feel like it's a bit more of an involved procedure. I feel like because it's it's in a big blood vessel in your neck, because it's in the jugular, there are more risks that are involved rather than doing venipuncture on a peripheral vein and feeding a catheter sterily in there. Um, on the other hand, I feel like we're going to get some more experience doing those, which for nursing is an awesome thing because it's a great thing to know how to do really well. And I was fortunate enough, uh, my good friend Shana, uh, who works in the CCU at my hospital, it was her turn to do the triple lumen jugular catheter. Oh my God, it was so exciting. So I was excited because I thought that I could like totally pay it forward. You know what I mean? Like I had, I had somebody show me step-by-step how to do it. I felt like my gift could be to show someone else how to do it step-by-step and get through the whole procedure and feel comfortable doing it and have it be successful and like, and sterile and awesome. And you know, all, all those, all those things that you want it to be. So we got all the stuff together. We talked through the whole thing. Um, the dog got a little bit of sedation, just like my dog got a little bit of sedation to help uh, keep them still because in case you wouldn't be able to tell already when you stick in a big old needle up in your jugular vein, you don't want the poochie to be moving around. Uh, so that's important. Uh, we had uh, the other nurse in CCU hold the poochie. Uh, so Kirsten held this dog while Shayna did all the pokey pokey. And I put sterile gloves on too, so I could hold sterile things and kind of it's sometimes just easier to have a second set of sterile hands because when you're sterile, it's like you can't touch all the things. And sometimes all you want to do is touch all the things. Um, but if you have a second set of sterile hands, you don't, you can be more, I feel like it's safer when you're learning because you've got another set of clean hands to catch the things that you can't, that that you can't (laughs) because you're freaking out about the one thing you have to focus on. Uh, So together we did it. Her skin was really tough. It was difficult to get uh, what we call the dilator. So I don't want to like, like take too many steps in review from what we talked about last time, but essentially, you know, just to quickly review, uh, uh, the procedure for that, you place a peripheral catheter in the jugular vein first, and you got to thread a big old long wire through there, take your peripheral catheter off, and then feed what's called a dilator over that wire. And the dilator makes a big enough hole in the skin, a big enough hole in the vein so that your 
multi-lumen catheter will then thread easily into the vein. And the dilator is, I think, kind of the trickiest bit because you really got to shove that thing in there and you're like, it's nerve wracking. Like, am I screwing things up? And it's like, no, you're not. It's just, it's remarkable how tough these vessels are. Um, we actually had to make a, a, a larger nick in her skin than the peripheral catheter had made because she had this really thick skin. It was hard to get the dilator through, but we did. Uh, took an x-ray and unlike mine that I had placed, I had to back mine out a little bit and position it so that it's kind of the space in the body that the end of the catheter rests in is between the heart and the shoulder blade. I think like it's kind of the shoulder joint is kind of like the best way I can describe the correct positioning for that is to be between those two landmarks. Um, this particular dog, Shana didn't have to adjust it at all. Like we put that sucker in and it like sat perfectly exactly where it was supposed to be. Um, and she's my suture queen. She's the one who's teaching me how to suture really well. She just went whoop, whoop, whoop and suture that sucker in, bandaged it up. And then we did a freaking Ho down happy dance because hooray uh, for getting experience with those with those catheters. So super special vein of puncture of the week. I'm really excited that I get to share that with everybody because I feel like all we can do is like just pay it forward as those are coming up in our hospital and we're all as nurses super excited to be learning that. I feel like that's why we're in specialty. That's why we do the job that we do is to learn how to do um, really cool stuff like that and to do it well and to serve the patients well. And that, that means that that dog now has vascular access. We can give total uh, parenteral nutrition if we have to. Uh, we can give drugs that can't go in peripheral veins like sugars and things like that that can really annoy your peripheral veins can go in that jugular catheter. It's it's great. It's great 100% all the way around. So hooray. Awesome sauce. Hooray for triple lumens. Hooray for Shana. Um, I'm stoked that I get to talk about it. Kind of struggling with like a song reference slash podcast reference there to close this with. But this is Mouth's Cradle by Bjork, who was singing for us earlier. And I figured like Mouth's Cradle, like Chihuahua's mouths are always terrible. I know, I know, I know, I'm struggling. Uh, but uh, in any case, uh, whether I'm struggling or yo struggling, we both be doing better in our lives if we go to cafepress.com slash catdisgusted and purchase some crap with Melissa's logo on it. <laughs> That'll make us both happy. So uh, thanks so much for tuning in. Thanks so much for having a look at the shop. Uh, I hope to see some dogs and cats running around with, uh, with Melissa's art on them. Uh, I'll see you next time. Uh, you know what? Don't come see me at work. Bye, everybody.